Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day, guys. Uh, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here this morning as we dig into your word. Lord, allow us to hear clearly from you. Lord, begin to put a rhythm in our life. Begin to, to move us closer to you. Lord, let your word come this morning. Let it transform us. Let it change us. Let it bring us life. We thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Rhythm, that's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. As a follower of Jesus, um, we should experience growing. We should grow. We should transform. We should become more like Him as, as we continue in our walk. And we mentioned this early on. There are some people, and, and I think one of the words today kind of echoed that this morning. There are some people who just seem to flourish in their faith. We look at them and we just see them. And there's a life on them. There's this, this thing about their walk, about their life, about their faith. And we look at it and we can be somewhat envious of it. We go, how, how do they have that kind of life? And, and I don't. And I don't. See, that transformation, that flourishing... It occurs as the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life, but it also occurs when we begin to move our lives more into alignment with Jesus. As we begin to walk our lives more with Jesus. As we begin to focus our lives more on what He is doing and less on what we are doing. I love that song we sang at the end. It's one of my favorite of all times. And that line, that line, it comes right out of the Gospels. Uh, where John is, is talking, they come to, the, the, uh, to the John the Baptist, and they say, you know, who is this Jesus guy? He's pulling all the people towards him. And John looks at them and says, more of him. He must increase. I must decrease. And that, that's our prayer as we begin to move closer to Jesus. More of you, less of me. More of, of your leadings in my life, less of my desires, my leadings. Let me become more like you. More like you. Now that process is called several different names. It's called discipleship. It's called spiritual formation. It's called maturing. It helps us grow. It helps us transform. It helps us truly flourish in our faith. And to get there, it helps to have a rhythm in our life. A rhythm that helps to foster growth. And here at the Vineyard, uh, we're going to call that rhythm MG3. Four words with four questions that help us develop, maintain, and, and place a rhythm in our lives, both individualistically or individually in our personal lives and corporately in the life of the church. Uh, and this is going to be something that's going to become a backbone of our community in the future. Two weeks ago, uh, we opened it up. We introduced our first letter M, which was meet. And we talked about uh, how meat has to do with our relationship with Jesus directly. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. He's the foundation of our walk. He should be the core of everything that we do. Everything starts and ends with Jesus. So we need to make sure that we're taking care of our relationship with him. And so the first question on meat was always, have you met Jesus? I mean, it starts with that. Everything starts with that. Have you met him? But for those of us who have, it doesn't end with have you met, them, met him, but it continues with the question of how are you meeting with Jesus today? 
What are you doing to meet with Jesus today? That's an ongoing question. And it's a question that we should be asking every single day of our lives. What am I doing to meet with Jesus today? Now last week we looked at the uh, first G, the second letter in MG3, and that was grow. And that's about growing in our faith, growing in knowledge, growing in our skills, and growing in community. Now we believe, and I firmly believe, that, that growth happens in community. It's hard to do it on our own. And, and we live in a society that says we can just do it all on our own. We don't need anybody. I don't know about you, the last two years of not needing anybody really was hard. Really was hard. If I never have to do another Zoom call, I'm good. I'm good. But deep down, we have this thing where we think we can just do it on our own. But as we come together as a community, we have this opportunity to grow. There are times when we grow in relationships, but as we grow in relationships with each other, we also dis- discover that we somehow, some way, get trained along the way. We learn how to, how, to, how to look at the Bible, how to read the Bible. We learn how to pray. We learn how to hear God. We learn how to do life. We learn how to minister. We learn how to lead. And the opportunities to grow, especially in community, are endless. And so that leads us to that ongoing question. How are you growing this week? We need to make space in our lives every week for community, every week to grow. And this all leads up to our third letter, our second G, which is give. Now, for the past two weeks, it seems like we always end up in Acts chapter 2, and there's a reason for that. That that picture in Acts chapter 2 of the church is the picture of what rhythm looks like, and it's also the picture of MG3. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be all over it today, Um, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This should sound familiar. They, the, the followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. We see the word give in verse 45, right? And that's how we think of give, right? They sold all their stuff and they gave to the poor. But the bigger picture of give is actually in verse 44. Notice what it says. All believers were together and had everything in common. This is a picture not only of a church that gave, but this is a picture of a church that served one another. And that's what give is all about, serving one another. One of the concepts that we keep seeing Jesus talking about over and over is this idea of serve. And it's one of the commands that he gave his his, uh, disciples right at the end. And we see it in John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13 is is right at the Last Supper. It's Holy Thursday. And and right before um, uh, 
before they, they break the bread and do what we're norm, used to, Jesus does something bizarre. Jesus gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. Now, we hear that and we don't fully get the picture of what's going on. But if you live in the ancient Near East, there are no paved roads. Okay, guys, there's like no, you know, sidewalks. It's all dirt. And there are no cars. The main mode of transportation was animals. Now, you know how cars have exhaust. Animals have exhaust, too. It's a slightly different type of exhaust. And that exhaust ends up on the dirt that you're walking on. And you have sandals on. And so, I don't know if you've ever spent the whole day hiking in a pair of sandals, but by the time you're done, your feet are, are kind of dirty. And just imagine if there's animal stuff there. They're not only dirty, they're, you know, they're nasty. They're nasty. And so Jesus goes in front of his disciples and he washes their feet. Now this was the job for the lowest servant in a household. This was the worst job. Nobody wanted this job. So you gave it to the new guy. Right? The guy lowest on the throne pole. And here's Jesus and he does it for the disciples. And in verse 12 of chapter 13 of John, he says this, When he finished washing their feet, he put, his clothes and, um, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He said, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do that. Jesus says something really interesting here, and this is something that, that kind of upsets the apple cart in our society, especially in the Western church. Jesus tells us that being followers of him is not defined by how we are served, but instead of how we are serving others. But we have this picture in our world that, that things are different, that the higher we get up, the more people should honor us, should take care of us, should serve us. We're told repeatedly, we need to look out for ourselves, we need to take care of ourselves, we need to do what's best for me. Don't get taken advantage. But it's better to take advantage if you can. And we take that attitude and we bring it into the church community. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Every couple of years, something really weird happens here. And I, for the life of me, I can't figure it out. We get a visitor. And seriously, about every three, four years this happens. We get a visitor who shows up day one. And they walk up to me and introduce themselves. And with this tremendous amount of hubris, they say, how do I get on the church board? I'm like, what? How, how do I get on? I want to be on the church board. Like, I don't even know who you are. What do you mean you want to be on the church board? Well, there's this, this idea that when you get the title, you know, 
board, elder, trustee. Pick it. Whatever church you're a part of, pick the title you want. Pastor. That there's this honor that comes to you, that people start doing stuff for you. People desire that honor. You could ask our leaders in this church about the honor that they get for being leaders. I hear from them repeatedly how they're tired. How it would be nice if other people carried weight. That's not guilt towards you. We have this idea that the higher we get up in the org chart, the easier life gets, the more honor comes upon us. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is telling us to think and act differently. Jesus kind of turns the, the way the world is organized upside down on its head. The least are the greatest, the greatest are the least. Those with the titles serve. And so on and so forth. He's calling us to serve one another, to wash one another's feet. But we also do it for another reason. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this, What shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That sound familiar? Jeff doesn't say that anymore. For years, whenever we did quiet time, I'd walk up here. I didn't even have to read the scripture. Paul tells us when we come together, Everyone should come prepared, each with a word, a song, a psalm, a tongue, an interpretation of the tongue, a teaching, a scripture. Now let's take a moment and just wait on the Lord. Remember that? There's a picture there. We do it for a reason. We don't do it because quiet time seems cool, and it's hip, and it's kind of charismatic, and edgy, and we have something that other churches don't have. We do it because we're commanded to bring things into the community. And this is our opportunity to make space for people to bring things into the community, for people to obey 1 Corinthians 14, 27, this picture of everyone comes, everyone is a part of the community, everyone gets to play. So when we talk about give, what we're talking about is serving, serving the church, serving one another. But that's a very broad concept. And it can be confusing at times. And we wonder, what does that mean for me? When you say serve, what exactly am I supposed to do? Well, we tend to come to the church and we give back in in usually one of three ways. By our time, by our talents, and by our treasures. And, And there's a difficulty when we hear that. There's a temptation. Because we like to believe that there's a return on the investment, right? And sometimes we see the work we do at the church and we're not exactly sure where the direct return is. See, when you you go to your job and you give your time and your talents to your job, what do you get back? You get treasure, right? It's it's like, it's a direct. You know, I, I, I work at a car wash. In the middle of summer, I don't enjoy working at the car wash when it's 100 degrees outside. 
daughter went to me the other day. She goes, why do you tan and I don't? I'm like, because I'm outside. <laughs> I don't want to be there, but I am. So why am I there? Why am I giving him my time? Why am I beating my body? Why am I sore? Because I get a little bit of treasure. That's the return on investment. As we look at the church, we wonder, what's in it for us? Because we want to bring that same idea, that same attitude. We go, what's in it for me? Well, Jesus, we read in John chapter 13, verse 17, he says, remember what he said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, as we give service, as we give our time, our talent, our treasure, Jesus blesses our lives. Now, that doesn't always mean financially. Fair warning. But it could mean it in other ways. We experience His presence. We experience His mercy. We experience His grace. We experience His favor. That's what happens. Now, looking at those three areas, Jesus has a really interesting thought when it comes to time. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 Excuse me. Jesus says this, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whomever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. There's a warning here for us, and this isn't just about our money or our treasure, and sometimes we look at it that way. This is actually a warning to us about our time. See, time is this incredible commodity that we really struggle with. We struggle keeping control of our time. Think about it. Think about all the tools you have. I remember years ago, I had a date book, and I had all this other stuff. Now today, I've got calendars on my phone. I've got checklists on my phone. I've got alarms on my phone. I've got all that stuff on my computer. I've got it it on my watch just to make sure that I always have my time in control. And I usually feel like I don't have any of it in control. It always gets away from me. It does, all of a sudden, the text comes in, and my whole, my whole calendar blows up. Or a phone call comes in, and all that. That's the reality of time. And the thing about it is we never seem to have enough of it, and it always runs out on us. But part of maturing as, as a Christian, part of maturing in our walk, is getting control of our time and deciding how much of our time we're going to give back to Jesus. that's actually a conscious decision that we need to make. How much time are we going to give to Jesus? Look, there are 10,080 minutes in a week. If all we give to God is 90 minutes on Sunday, and if we're lucky, maybe it's more like 75, then we're giving Him less than 1% of our time, actually 0.89% of our time. Is that that honoring God? Is it? See, the picture that Jesus is painting in this parable is that the rich man believes time is unlimited. 
Right? What am I going to do with all this? I'll just knock my barns down. I'll build bigger barns. Then I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I'll retire. I'll head down to Florida and sit on the beach, and life is going to be great. We act like that. We bring that into the church. Think about it. Well, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow when things lighten up a bit. Or, or when the kids grow up, and get out of the house, I'll invest more time in this. Or when things calm down, or when I get older and I retire, then I'll, I'll do more things for the Lord. And my schedule finally opens up. But, but here's the thing. Time has a beginning and an ending, and we never really know when that ending is going to happen. And so the question is, when it's all said and done, how are you going to account for your time to Jesus? Because one day you're going to have to account for how you handled all of your time. Are you giving him the first fruits of your time, or are you just throwing him the leftovers? You know, I'm, I'm not telling you like to go quit your jobs and join a monastery and become monks. I'm, I'm being realistic here. But at the same time, we need to sit back and take a look at what we're doing. One of the time management tools that they, they teach us as coaches to use for other people is to kind of sit down with your calendar and start listing everything you do in a week. All your activities, from the most mundane to the most important. When do you go to bed? How much time do you spend sleeping? How much time do you spend eating? What did you do every minute of your day? And then they tell you to look at that list and break it into three columns. A, the stuff that needed to get done. It's important. You're the guy to do it. B, the stuff that's somewhat important. And then C, that other stuff. And the challenge is to get rid of the C's and delegate the B's. The C's probably didn't need to get done at all. And that's how you make space. Maybe we need to do that with our time. Maybe we need to sit back and take a look at our schedule and realize where are we spending all of our time? Are we giving any of it back to God? Because when, when you don't, what happens is when an opportunity presents itself, you'll have an excuse. I'm too busy. When in reality, you weren't busy, you just filled up the time with distractions. We need to purposefully schedule our time for and with God. Our quiet time, our grow time, and the time we give to Him for service. Now, after we schedule it, what do we do? That's where our, our talents come in. 1 Peter chapter 4. Way too many ribbons in my book. 1 Peter 4 starting in verse 10. <clears throat> Peter says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever. 
We, we tend to look at, at something like this and we think it's, it's, it's about spiritual gifts. Right? God is just talking about spiritual gifts. If He's given me the gift to speak, meaning preaching, then I should preach. Right? If He's giving me the gift to serve a church, then I should serve a church. But, but that's not what He's talking about. See, giftings from God are so much greater than just our spiritual gifts. There's this bizarre little blurb in Exodus, chapter 31. And this is one of those areas that most of us have probably absolutely skipped over. Exodus chapter 31. Uh, the Lord is designing the tabernacle. Right? This is where worship is going to happen. And He's laying down how everything is supposed to work and what it's supposed to look like and what the activities are going to be in it and all this stuff. And in Exodus 31, verse 1, the Lord says this to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Zal, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with skills and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stone, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. So, time out. So art, the thing that Jeff does, that's a spiritual gift. Carpentry, that's a spiritual gift. You make jewelry, that's a spiritual gift. Moreover, I have appointed Oliabob, and I know I said that wrong, son of the guy whose name starts with an A, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. I've also given the ability of all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. The tent of meeting. You like to sew? That's a spiritual gift. The ark of the covenant of law with the atonement cover on it. And all the other furnishings of the tent. The table and its article, pure gold, the lampstands, all its accessories. The altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings, all of its utensils, the basin with its stand. That's plumbing, by and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve priests. And all the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. See, all of our abilities have come from God. Not just the supernatural ones. All of them. And, and that's, that's mind-blowing if you think about that. Because you think we just figured this stuff out on our own. But no matter what your gifting is, no matter what your talent is, it came from God. And it doesn't have to be one of the flashy ones. You know, music is a gift from God. Art is a gift from God. The things you do with your hands are a gift from God. The way you use your mind is a gift from God. And God is calling us to give those giftings and callings and abilities back to Him as a sign of worship. So some of you may not know this, but every morning, if you get a cup of coffee here at the church, more than likely, my daughter made that coffee. Okay? She has a job at Starbucks. She knows how to make coffee. Now, it's not a hard job that she does downstairs. She goes downstairs, and she knows she has to get there early to turn the little switch on the coffee pot on. We don't leave it on all week. Heat up the water. 
knows exactly how many scoops of coffee to put in the basket. And for those of you who really like coffee, you know that is a very important skill. That's a, that's a gift from God to know exactly how much coffee to put in that basket. Right? If you don't put enough in or put too much in, the enemy could come in and you know, cause all kinds of problems. Fills it up, knows what to do with the air presses and puts them up here. We look at that and we just think that's just a task. Joe gave it to his daughter because nobody else would do it. We just needed to get it out of the way. No. For her, that is like a ministry. Try taking that coffee job away from her. It's not pretty. She takes the gift that she has, which doesn't seem like much, and she brings it to the church, and she blesses all of you in the process. You don't even think about it. Because you just think the coffee like miraculously showed up in the morning. See, from the smallest to the greatest, God has given us giftings. And one of my biggest frustrations as a pastor is people who will not bring their talents to the church. I see this repeatedly. They hold on to their talents so tight and they won't bring them to the church. Or they think their talents aren't needed at the church. They are. God didn't give you an ability just to hold on to it. He gave it to you to share. No matter how minuscule or how phenomenal it may be. He gave it to you to share. To share with His people. If this is your home, if this is your family, then you should allow your family to be blessed by the talents that God has given you. Now, we're called to schedule our time, offer our talents. The final thing we're supposed to give back to God is our treasure. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, says this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. By the way, this is the prophet that the Lord sent to the people who are in exile in Babylon. But you ask, how are we to return? Will, you, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I don't preach on giving a lot. I usually convince somebody else to do it. It's an awkward thing. But God seems to take what we do with our money really seriously. Really seriously. When we don't give our treasures back to God, there's this picture that we're under a curse. Remember the parable of the talents? I always find that as a 
funny name. His talents in that case meant money, but we also look at it as things we can do today. There was this picture that God gave talents. And some invested it and others held it. And there was a curse to those who held it tight. But when we give back to God, we're blessed. Remember John 13? If you do these things, you'll be blessed. Now, I'm just going to go through some basics. There's a difference between the tithe and the offering, in case you don't know it. The tithe belongs to the church. The offering is over and above. Now, you may tell me, well, the Old Testament is all about tithe. The New Testament doesn't talk about tithing, Joe. So tithing is something out of the Old Testament. We live under grace, and so we don't have to tithe anymore. And I'll say, you're right. You don't have to tithe anymore. 10% isn't the limit. You can go well beyond that if you want to. Because Jesus says, you've got to give it all to me. So, you decide what that means. Let me tell you a bit about how things work here in the vineyard. Because sometimes people get confused on how denominations work and how things work. So I'm just going to be very practical here. We are not subsidized. The denomination doesn't send any money my way. doesn't send any money of the church's way. Let's say you want to go plant a vineyard. When you get released, they give you 3000 is it? The same amount they gave you in the 80s when you could do something with $3,000, like buy a sound system and chairs. Today, you can buy a chair and a speaker for $3,000, maybe. Probably some cable. That's all the money that comes back from, from the denomination. The mortgage, the utilities, the coffee, the internet, it all comes from what we do on the weekly offerings. And if you're in the Facebook community page, every every Monday, we post what we receive. And that's the money that we use to run the church. And at the bottom it says um, monthly expenses. That's what it costs to pay everything. Pay the electric, pay the mortgage, to pay utilities, to do ministry, to fund the different ministries that may be happening in the church, to buy coffee, to pay my salary. And so that number isn't like an imaginary number. That's a real number. And if it doesn't get there, then things get cut. One of the things this past month that have gotten cut, you may have noticed. If your Wi-Fi is not working. We don't have a lot of room to cut things because we bought a building. So the other place that gets cut is usually me. Now, I'm not saying this as a guilt. I'm just telling you, this is how things operate. This is reality. And that's where those three elements kind of tie together. Because when we give back to God our time, our talents, and our treasure, then all of a sudden the church begins to operate the way it was designed to operate. The body of Christ begins to present itself as Jesus to the world. And people all of a sudden see the good that comes out of the church and they're drawn to the church. When people see you uh, giving time to minister to each other, to minister to others, when people see the church not as a place trying to grab as much money, but a place where it can invest in the community and can invest in others. It can, it can do ministry. 
that becomes a powerful image to the world. See, giving back, serving the church community, that's the next step in our journey to maturity. And so that leads us to our next ongoing question. We started it with how are you meeting with Jesus today? We followed it with how are you growing this week? And today, we just ask the simple one. How are you giving this month? Looking at how we serve in the context of a month seems to be a very healthy way based on the natural rhythms of our culture and of the church. You know, we're not looking for people to like lock themselves in kids' church forever and never come out again. As someone who did that for two and a half years, as a brand new Christian, not a good thing. But there's a rhythm in how we serve. There's a rhythm in how we give. There's a rhythm in how we look at our time. What are you doing this month to serve? What are you doing this month to give? How have I given my time to serve others in my church community this month? How have I given my talents and giftings back to my church community this month? How have I given financially back to my church this month? And all these are challenging questions. And we need to come to them the same way we came to all the other questions that we looked at. We start with exactly where we are. Look, you just showing up on Sunday morning right now? Is that it? Maybe it's time to get involved in something. Here's the beauty thing with a church that's, that's restarting. We have more opportunities to serve than we have people. There are so many things that you could do. We need people helping with greeting. You know, this is simple. You, good morning. Welcome to the vineyard. It's a hard job. In a perfect world, we'd have someone on top of the stairs and someone at the door to open the door for people to come in. Or if it was raining, they have a, an umbrella to welcome them in. It's a really easy job. This place doesn't clean itself by the way. I, I, I've wondered if we could buy a bunch of those little robot things and just, you know, just automatically they go around the church. But, but we, not in the budget. So how it tends to clean itself is, well, maybe this is passive aggressive, but I tend to not do it for a long period of time waiting to see if somebody else does it. Then I get irritated, and then I come and I start vacuuming really aggressively in front of people, like on Tuesday doesn't clean itself. It needs help doing that. Look, we've got two kids coming to church right now. God bless that. But you know what? I'll, I'm going to be blunt. This fall, we're going to have more than two kids coming to church. And we had a really robust children's church program once upon a time. And COVID did wonders of destroying it. We need help. As an ex-children's pastor, we need help. And the beauty of having an ex-children's pastor as your senior pastor is I know the rhythms of children's church and I know the rhythms of how not to burn people out down there. But the way we're doing it right now, which is throwing my daughter down there with some coloring pages or rushing people down there, that's how you burn people out. We have a curriculum-ish. We have things to do. We just need the people. Our sound and production guys, 
God bless Bryce and Nathan. For the last two years, you have no idea what they have done to keep this place alive. You have no idea how they've invested their time, their talents, and their treasure into that back area. I know they want to break. Okay? I know they would lo- you know, love to just like come to church one Sunday. They were back there when none of you felt safe to come here. Okay? And it seems complicated, but believe it or not, it's really not. I mean, we got gifted this incredible board from another church that is like the dummy-proof digital board. I mean, there's a way to go into it and really get complicated with it, but the soundboard, it's right now at a like you press a couple of buttons and you're done. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. We have so many projects in this church, your mind would explode, and that doesn't even start the house next door, okay? I mean, the, the women's bathroom has come a long way, but once again, it's hit like a brick wall, all right? There's rooms that have only halfway been painted. They need a second coat or they need a finished coat. Um, there, there's, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're on four and a half acres of land out there, okay? And, and I don't know if this is like a spiritual discipline or if he's in penance, but every week, uh, James is out there cutting portions of the grass because you can't do it all at once. It's just too big. And, and I know that we're going for the prairie effect and back, but that's not on purpose, all right? We need help with stuff like that. John's going to take a prayer team to, to, to uh, the farmer's market. It's not that hard, by the way, what they're going to do. We did this last fall, all right? Here's what's going to happen. The physical part, you've got to set the tent up and unfold the chairs, and then you sit down. And you wait. And then people pop in every now and then. And usually they want to talk your ear off for a while. And then you pray for them. And it's not that hard. And usually they're just like, we may pray for healing for some people. Some people it's just a blessing. And, and John can teach you how to do all of that while you're there. It's not that hard. It, it's really easy to do. But, but that's not the only thing. We've got a couple other handful of outreaches that we're playing with. We've got an outreach into the uh, neighborhood surrounding here that Cindy's playing with that's going to need help uh, just getting door-to-door and putting things on people's doorsteps. You won't even have to talk to people. Put things on the doorstep. Um, I've got some opportunities to go into the West or the North Annie Glidden neighborhood, um, and we're playing with some stuff especially in University Village, a tremendous outreach that we can do that. This is one of those things like straight out of Acts. The Lord has given us a tremendous opportunity in contact with people where there could be an incredibly fruitful ministry in that side of town, so fruitful that it could literally change the dynamic of this city. And the amazing part about it is I've got three other churches who are so excited that if we do it that they're willing to fund the whole thing because they don't want to send people there, but they're more than happy to write a check for us to go there and do it. 
talking like maybe a big barbecue in the park to invite the whole neighborhood there. We're talking about maybe starting an alpha in the community center. We have opportunities to do a couple Bible studies and stuff like that in the neighborhoods because the Lord has given us men and women of peace to move into that. We'll talk more about that next week. But there are places to serve. And notice how it starts from the very basic all the way to the more complex. See, we're called to start where we are. And just take a step. Help with something. And as you move forward, the Holy Spirit will create more and more opportunities. I got saved in 1988. And uh, spent the first couple of years basically just getting discipled. And Cindy and I got married in 1990. And the first year of our marriage, we really struggled because we couldn't find a church. And we were trying to figure out who we were and all that stuff. And then we ended up moving to Marengo in, uh, in 91, right? And the church I got saved at and the church that she got, re- I don't know, filled with the Holy Spirit at was up in Belvedere. So we started going to that church. And uh, we were there for a couple of weeks. And Cindy was a little bit further down the path of Jesus than I was. And we met people and we became friends and all that stuff. And the people who were running Children's Church looked at Cindy and said, hey, would you guys be willing to come back to Kids Church and give us a hand? And I was like, I know nothing about Kids Church. They're like, don't worry about it. They had this massive bus ministry where they brought all these kids in from Belvedere. And they, I'm going to date myself, the primary form that they did stuff was via a puppet ministry. Have you ever done puppet ministries in kids' church? So we had this big stage. And my job was simply to hide behind the stage with a sock puppet on my hand and make the mouth move as the record player or tape was doing the play. Right? So that, that's all I did. That was my first volunteer job in the church. First thing I served was being a puppet guy. And then time grew, and before I knew it, I was out front helping to teach the kids. And then um, we ended up moving from that church and ended up in another church. And then all of a sudden, I was helping to lead some of the things in Children's Church. And then we got transferred from there down to Georgia. And before I knew it, there was this gap. They didn't have a children's leader, and so... I came in and ended up being the children's pastor. And I organized and led with Cindy's help. Cindy was on the worship team. Um, All the children's program recruited a team. And before I knew it, it started with one classroom. All of a sudden, we had five classes going, nursery through through, uh, fifth grade. And so I had to come and do all the, the different things with curriculum and figure out how all of that worked out. And I did that so well that my pastor came to me and said, hey, you should plant a church. And I was like, okay. And then he said, you should take over Alpha. If you've never run an Alpha, they seem easy, right? Back then, we didn't hit play. We had to do all the teaching live. And we decided to feed everybody. So we had to organize a whole Alpha team, the cooking stuff, the teachings, the retreat. We put all of that together. And then I was running the small group ministry, and I had small groups, and I began to multiply my small groups and go from there. And before we knew it, we had hands laid on us, and they sent us here. 
And it all started because I put a sock on my hand and moved the mouth to a tape recorder. See, that's how the Holy Spirit works. You don't start here, you end here. Well, hopefully not end here. That's kind of obvious. But you take that first step. Are you not giving? I know 10% is a very scary number. It's a very scary number. Um, it's a number that we find throughout Scripture. And that could be a big step. But once you start where you are, just give financially. And then build it to a place. Ask the Lord to help you to get to that place to build it. If you've got questions on what that looks like, you know who has a tremendous gift for that? It, it's Brenda. Her story of how where they started and where they are, it's just it's mind-boggling of what God has done with Brenda and James and finances. Talk to them if you're struggling with that question. Sorry for putting you on the spot. You given 10%? You know, we don't live under the law anymore. We live under grace. Maybe God's calling you to do something else. See, the Christian life is supposed to be a life of service a life of giving, a life of generosity. And so I just want to close with a passage from 2 Corinthians 9. Starting in verse 6, Paul writes this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that is needed, you will, be a, a, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Think of that for a second. I say this every Sunday when I take the offering. I'm like a broken record. All that we have came, we've received from you, Lord. Everything we have, and so we give back. That's not just like, you know, guilt. That's reality. Everything you have came from God. And if he was able to give you what you have now, the seed you have now, as you sow that, he will replenish it abundantly. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanking God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs, the, the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable God has given us time, as he's given us our talents, as he's given us treasure, we're called to give back. So, 
How are you giving this month? Let's stand and pray.